Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. We believe that with smart marketing, you can compete with the largest players in your industry. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm going to be joined by Adam Earhart, and we're going to talk about how to create psychology-driven organic marketing funnels. And I got to tell you, you are going to absolutely dig this episode. We get into some fascinating stuff that's going to connect a lot of dots for you in a pretty substantial way. By the way, if you want to reach out to me and let me know you like this episode, I am at Stelzner on Instagram. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow the show on whatever platform you're listening to so you do not miss any of our future content. I've got a question for you. Did your business transition to e-commerce sales during the pandemic? Are you looking for an easier way to scale your e-commerce sales? If so, you should explore the Wix e-commerce platform. It's an omni-channel solution that manages all of your offline and online customer transactions in a single powerful dashboard. Now all your customer data, sales inventory, delivery and fulfillment, and marketing are powered by a single platform, the Wix e-commerce platform. From a single dashboard, you can manage your CRM, email marketing, SMS marketing, live chat, automation, all customer communications, and more. Plus, Facebook ads by Wix leverages artificial intelligence to learn about your audience and then run and optimize your Instagram and Facebook ads for you. With this one feature alone, Wix e-commerce customers average a 1,000% return on ad spend and 40% have doubled their sales. Join more than 700,000 active Wix e-commerce stores. Here's your next step. Go to Wix.com slash e-commerce and get started creating your store. Again, Wix.com slash e-commerce. You support this podcast by checking out our sponsors. And now for this week's interview with Adam Earhart. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Adam Earhart. If you don't know who Adam is, he's a marketing strategist who helps small business marketers with their content marketing and psychology-driven sales strategy. His course is called Digital Marketing Academy, and his YouTube channel has more than 3 million views, and it's chock full of useful marketing training videos. Adam, welcome to the show. 
Oh, Mike, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you as well. Today, Adam and I are going to explore how to use organic social activities to develop and nurture an audience. Now, before we go there, I would love to hear your story. How'd you get into social marketing? Start wherever you want to start. Yeah, right on. It's one of the most random ways in. I'm not sure, though, of all the people I've spoken to, there doesn't seem to be kind of a nice, clear, easy path in. So mine is mine is probably just as messy as anyone else's. But originally, I came from uh, a completely different world. So I used to be a pilot and uh, I was wow. a business jet pilot flying overseas sort of living what looked like a dream life on the outside, but inside, I kind of missed home. And if you've ever met a pilot, they love flying and they always want to do it. And I was kind of always ready to get back home. So one day that was it. And uh, I came back home and I was like, all right, well, now what am I going to do? And so I talked to my wife and I was like, what do you think I should do? She's like, you should do marketing. I was like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. But I, I don't even know what marketing is. Just for context, what year was that? That was just over 10 years ago. Okay, so that's like 2000... Uh, yeah, 2011, 10, around that period. 2011, I think. Why did she say marketing, by the way? Why did she pick yeah, that? It's, it's funny. She knew more about marketing than I did uh, at the time. And so she came from a business background as well and had worked in small business and worked with different sort of entrepreneurial ventures. And so she went through, did the traditional school and had her BBA in business and studied marketing and was like, yeah, I think Adam would uh, would sort of jive with that. So what happened next? So what happened next? Well, I started going down the rabbit hole. And at first I was like, all right, well, cool. We need something. So I started to study and started to look at it and started to go on Amazon and buy all the books. And it was almost like this weird addiction obsession was formed and it happened really fast. So I just got bit by this bug. I was like, are you telling me that we can create stuff and words and content and we can help people and we can do all of these things and they'll pay us to do it. And so it was this sort of evolution from there where I started with web design because I was like, all right, cool. We got to be online. Right. And then after I built websites, it's like, well, no one's going to find them. So I need SEO. And then I was like, okay, well, I want more traffic. So that led me to organic social. I was like, well, how do I make this even more? So I started doing paid social and then it really just kept evolving. So so the early days was a lot of Twitter, then moved on to Facebook. Were you doing this for others or were you doing this for some like your own? Did you have a product you were selling? Yeah. So at the very, very beginning, when I first got started, I was doing it for other people. Basically okay. anybody that would let me look at their stuff. So my first client paid me a hundred bucks and I did some stuff and I'm not sure if either of us knew if it worked or not. And that was when I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I need to find out what's effective and what's not. And then really the agency was kind of born from those early days. And I didn't move into courses and info products and all of that until many years later. Okay. So you started an agency in the early days. And how did you ultimately transition into doing more with social? Tell us a little bit more about that story. Yeah. Well, essentially what happened is I think like everybody that has a business that needs clients and customers is you start thinking, well, where are my people? What are they doing and where are they active and present? And I thought, at least at the time, that Twitter was going to be sort of the answer. So I, I really doubled down there, learned about Twitter, built an audience, engaged there, and it actually started to bring in clients. I was like, this is even more interesting. So I was like, okay, well, where else are my people? And then obviously Facebook was big, so moved more into Facebook marketing and started learning about all right, well, what kind of content resonates here. And this was kind of back in the good old days when we could just put anything out and we would get all the reach that we wanted. And right, then, right. yeah, that evolved. And then they took that away and made us pay, which I was, I was stoked for because there was a lot of people that were angry, but sort of opened up new doors and new opportunities. And then, yeah, that evolved into YouTube, sort of realizing that the future of 
social, at least the way that I saw it, was going to be largely video based. Mm. And so Twitter was obviously dropping the ball a bit on that one. And Facebook was good and they were trying, but obviously YouTube being the dominant player. So tell us about your journey to YouTube and a little bit more about what you've achieved there. Yeah, so YouTube was a scary road to go down. I think like everybody that's that looks at YouTube and they understand the power, they know it's owned by Google, it's the world's second largest search engine, et cetera, et cetera. But there's that fear of kind of sitting down in front of a camera and talking to it. So I sort of waded into the water slowly and I got a camera and I tried some stuff and the audio only came out of the left side and it was blurry. But fortunately it was blurry because I was sweating and miserable and and scared. And, and I was like, all right, well, this wasn't a lot of fun. I got to find a better way to do it. So I hired a buddy of mine who was a videographer and we basically set everything up and he walked me through things and we recorded four of probably the most uncomfortable videos of my whole life. Because if you've ever had a friend in the room watching you sweat and struggle, you know it's not pleasant. But sure enough, those videos went up. They started to get a couple views, very, very slow at first, but slowly but surely they started to bring in clients and calls and mm. applications and then course sales. And just like that, I was like, all right, I think we figured something out here. So then since then, essentially, it's been sort of doubling down and trying to figure out, well, what do people want, how the algorithm works and, and how can you use it to grow a business? What kind of content are you creating these days on YouTube? Yeah, mostly around marketing strategies. So like the bulk of the videos, 90% are around social strategies, digital strategies, different strategies on Facebook and some tactics for other digital marketing and attention and other conversion strategies and how to get more traffic and essentially that whole world. So what are you doing today? Like what is your, bring us to the present day, if you will. Yeah, so the present day, the agency is still technically alive, though not accepting clients, which just sort of had grandfathered clients that have been in there since the, the early days, so we're keeping them on. It's uh, a combination of consulting with other businesses and helping them with marketing, and then it's a bit of a mix of products and uh, information products and as much training as I can, essentially trying to share all of these lessons, this last decade of going through the evolution that is social and all the wild and wonderful things that, uh, that it's taught. So thank you for sharing that journey. Hopefully a lot of people can resonate with certain parts of that journey. What I want to ask you about is marketing funnels. First of all, talk about how you define a marketing funnel and specifically how it applies. We'll get to it in a little bit, but why are marketing funnels so important? Because I think certain people think about that when it comes to email and other kinds of things, but specifically, you know, when it comes to maybe social, talk to us a little bit about marketing funnels, because I know that's where we're going today. Yeah, right on. Yeah, marketing funnels. Oh, man, just such a absolute favorite topic of mine. And and the reason that marketing funnels are so important uh, comes down to two things, comes down to psychology and the way that people engage and interact and consume content and that, and also relationships. Now, the way that I define a marketing funnel is really just almost like this kind of insider jargon lingo that we use inside marketing, but really it's nothing more than a relationship or than a customer journey. It's a series of steps that people go through in order to do business with you. So even if you have never heard the term before, even if you're brand new to business, if you've ever sold a single thing, you've got a funnel. It may not be optimized, it may not be pretty, but it exists. There's some kind of path someone went through to learn about you, to realize that what you had is a value to them, and then finally went through purchasing. So again, psychology and relationships. Now, the reason 
funnels are important is because we need to design our marketing and the process around the way that people naturally process information and make their buying decisions. So what often happens in marketing, especially those that are brand new or those that don't sort of stay up to stay up to the times, don't listen to this podcast, they're missing out because they'll often firehose people with information. They'll just give them everything, they'll blast them away with sales messages and this and that, and it's too much. Not only that, it doesn't take advantage of the way that we have or these opportunities to sort of drip feed information to people and to walk them through a bit of a process. And when we're able to do that, well, we can take advantage of all kinds of different psychological triggers. We can uh, leverage different cognitive biases. We don't have to sort of fire all our guns at once. We can spread things out and we can accomplish a whole lot more. And that well, that leads to the relationships. Relationships take time. So if you're selling something for any appreciable amount of money, it's very rare. It's only a very small percentage of the market that's going to come out cash, credit card in hand and make the purchase. The rest of people, well, they're going to need that time to, to quote unquote, as cliched as it is, know, like, and trust you. They need that relationship. They need information. They need to have objections overcome. They need to understand that you're the right one for the job. So all of those things, all of that rant is possible with a right funnel. And, you know, I think about we've all experienced a marketing funnel. We just maybe don't realize it. If anyone listening has ever bought a home or they've ever bought a car, which probably covers nearly everyone listening, like let's take the house. The way it works with the house is it's normally like you and or if you're married, your spouse says, hey, honey, let's just go look at those model homes. Right. I'm looking for some mm -hmm. creative ideas for uh, making our house look a little bit better. You walk into the house. Nope, just a neighbor, just looking, right? And mm -hmm. before you know it, you're like, ooh, I like the way this looks. Oh, I like the way this looks. And then when you leave, they say, hey, fill out this little form or, hey, can I get your email address, right? And then what happens is you start moving from a phase of I'm just looking to, well, maybe I should think about a new home. My wife's about to have a baby, hypothetically, right? Or you know, the kids are outgrowing the house, right? And we need a new house. And then I would imagine you go back and you start looking again. And then you enter into that phase where you're like, okay, actually, how much is this thing really going to cost? Right? That's <laughs> what, it, exactly. What are the taxes yep. going to be? Like, wait a second, how am I going to finance this? Right? And you move along into that funnel and you don't even realize it, right? And you're putting yourself into a natural psychological state of not even thinking about it, just randomly driving by to wonder what it would be like if I had something like this too. Well, maybe let's see if this is feasible to, huh, now I'm actually interested. Am I close? Am I right? That's kind of how it works, right? That's 100% it. That's literally it. And the, the beauty of that is, is that when we understand that, and the home sale is the perfect example, because if all of a sudden you're driving down a neighborhood or whatever, and a real estate agent or a realtor just came like running out into the street in front of you and started screaming at you with like, this house is a, a million bucks, or this one's 500 grand, or this one's 2 million, or whatever it is, right. you're going to think they're nuts. And yet, that's what most people do with their marketing. We interrupt people as they're going about their day. We jam a number in front of their face. And then we're, we're almost offended when they don't buy. And it's completely backwards. Whereas the process that you walked through, those sort of psychological barriers, well, they get lowered as people go through. So people need to have their beliefs sort of confirmed and affirmed. They need to have their fears validated. They need to understand that this information needs to be delivered at this time. They need to understand that, well, this is a possibility. And then they need to go from a possibility to, oh, maybe it's probable with the right price. And then, well, maybe it's probable for someone like me if all of these things are taken care of. And right, so, right. yeah, a perfect example. So what's the connection between a funnel and 
organic marketing because a lot of people listening right now might get a funnel if they put their email into a list or might get a funnel if they're being targeted with a Facebook ad, right? But organic, that seems a little different. So connect the dots on that one because I think some people might have a hard time with that. Yeah, right on. So essentially, this is where a lot of people go wrong as well, actually, is when they're thinking about organic marketing or they're thinking about Facebook ads and they're approaching it from completely different perspectives. When the reality is, is that when we're looking at a funnel, when we're looking at a journey, all we're looking at is what stages is someone going to be at and then where can I drive traffic to? So for example, with organic marketing, well, we could put it at the top of the funnel. So we could have organic content that gets shown thanks to the algorithm. We could have organic content that gets shared via a referral or a friend. We could have organic content that's shared via a podcast or a video or whatever it is. And that can lead someone wherever we want them to go. So if they're brand new and they're cold, well, we'll send them to a landing page and an opt-in and we'll get their email and we'll follow up there. On the other hand, well, there's no reason that we can't use organic content and, and bring people back, sending them back from, say, the podcast episode back to a social media post or to a live or to wherever it is. So everything works regardless of whether we're paying for it or it's organic. The reality is, is that it's still going to facilitate this journey that we're trying to walk people through, but we've got to think of it more as like, well, what stage are they at? How aware are they of the problem? What kind of content can I put in front of them to give them that next piece of the puzzle? So if we were doing the house sale again, well, the realtor, the real estate agent could find where people are most likely to be looking for homes. And if rather than running out in front of the street, maybe we could put up a sign or maybe we could do something a little more passive or whatever it is. I think what I'm hearing you say is, hey, you never know the people that see your content, what stage of the journey they're in, right? Just like you don't know when people drive by and see the sign, what stage they're in either, right? So it sounds like you have to create content that attracts people at the top of the funnel and maybe at the middle of the funnel, right? Which is probably consideration phase. I don't know. But I would imagine that since you never know who's going to see some of your content, you probably need, and, and maybe that's part of your strategy that we're going to talk about next, but, but you do need to put out not just top of funnel organic content because there might be mid funnel content that's also going to be seen by people in the consideration phase. Am I close or am I wrong? Yeah, no, no, you're spot on there, Mike. Like it, really what it comes down to is I like to look at it in three different phases. So sort of, again, we could, we, we could call it whatever synonyms we want to, whatever works best, top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom funnel, we right. can call it, uh, I like attention, engagement and conversion, uh, but we do need different pieces of content for different people. So if we use, let's say, attention, engagement, and conversion, well, we're going to need that top of funnel content that draws people in. It's very broad. It's it's not necessarily how-to. It, it could be something like a listicle or or something that's easy to consume that's like, all right, cool. I get it. I've got that problem. I'll, I'll consume this. But you're not going to build a lot of authority, a lot of trust. You're not providing a ton of value further on. So you do need that level two content, that engagement content that allows you to sort of of sort of flex your business muscles a little bit and show what you've got. But of course, that's not going to be enough either because you need conversion content. Now, of course, we should have relevant calls to action in all of our content. However, coming out there and saying, look, you have this problem. I have this solution. Maybe we should have a chat. Well, we need to do those as well. And again, most businesses, they fall on one of two ends of the spectrum. They either fall on that like all value, all content, all the time, never any offers, or they take the completely opposite approach, which is the all 
offers, all sales, all of that, no value. Most of the listeners to this kind of bargain, I, I just, I know they're the value people. They want to help, they want to serve, they want to give and all that. So more offers is probably a bit of a secret weapon that we could deploy. But of course, we have to do it strategically and we have to make sure that we're, we're not doing it too early and chasing people down in their cars. Love it. Okay. Well, you've got this strategy that we're going to talk about right now. Why don't you say what it's called and then let's kind of break down the pieces that go into the strategy. Yeah, for sure. So the strategy is called the Everlaunch. And what it is, is it's really a psychology-driven messaging series, which makes it sound a little more fancy than it is. But what it is, is it's a way of presenting your information, a way of addressing your market that's both effective, but also ethical. So it works. And the reason it's so effective is that it meets people where they are, and then it takes them by the hand, and then it guides them to where they want to go. So it identifies their problems, it identifies where they want to go, and then it positions you and your business as the solution for there. And it does it by sort of spreading out your messages, by overcoming obstacles as they come up, and really just helping people every step of the way, all the while having them self-identify and having them take micro-commitments and playing on different cognitive biases and heuristics and all of this kind of fancy, nerdy marketing stuff that happens behind the scenes. Love it. Well, let's dive into it. Like, what's the first part of the strategy? Yeah, so the whole thing is made up because, you know, us marketers, we love our alliteration, don't we? So the first <laughs> one is provide, and then there's a series of P's before that. But the very first step, provide, is what we want to do here is we're going to condition the market, condition your customers to start taking action by really identifying the true nature and cause and impact of the problems that they have. So what ends up happening, and the reason this is beneficial is twofold. The first of which is that a solution on its own really is kind of irrelevant. So we have to identify that problem first. The second thing is, is there's this interesting psychological phenomenon that happens when you're the one who's able to accurately describe and really get into your market's shoes and explain the problem that they have. Because when you describe this problem, they naturally associate you as having a solution to it. So we want to identify the problem. We want to let them know it's very much feel, felt, found. Look, we get it. I'm here to help. I'm going to help you. And hey, you might even be able to work with me if that's what's best for you. Okay. If we go with the example of the real estate, let's just say we're targeting people that are not owners, but renters, right? Mm -hmm. And we could say the problem is that so many people don't understand the value of investing in property and they end up actually spending so much more money than they would have if they owned their home rather than rented their home, right? Perfect. And that would be a problem that you could agitate for sure, right? And and then you could say, look, over time, you can eventually have that mortgage paid off and you never have to pay rent again to anyone else, right? And right. that would be like a way of conditioning the market. Am I right or am I wrong? Absolutely. Yeah. So that would be step one is we would do that. We would show them, we would talk about the problem and we'd also start to plant the seeds a little bit of saying, look, not only is this a problem, but Hey, you know what? There's, there's a solution and you can, you can own a home and other people own homes as well. This is not a new thing. And you know what? It's worked for them. It might even work for you too, but there's a couple pitfalls, a couple things you got to watch out for. So I'm going to show those to you. I'm going to make sure that you're looked after. You said feel, felt, and found, and I like those words. Tell me a little bit more. Let's explore that a little bit. What does that mean? It's one of my favorite copywriting frameworks of which there's a nearly endless supply. Of course, PAS, Problem Agitate Solve, is, is my go-to, but feel, felt, found, it's a really powerful one, especially in the context of Everlaunch or organic content or a marketing funnel at all. And what it, we're essentially doing is we're saying, look, I know how you feel. 
Like, look, I rented once too, and I watched property prices skyrocket. I thought that I was going to be left behind. I saw the stock market at an all-time high. I didn't know where to put my money. I know how you feel. I felt the same way. That's I've been in your shoes. I've, I've been where you are. But this is what I found. I found there's a solution, and I've discovered this thing, or someone told me about this, or whatever it is. Oh, I love this. Okay, I get it. I get it. I feel you. I felt that way too. Here's what I found. That's it. Exactly. Yes. It's, it. it's been the framework for a lot, a lot of ads and a lot of content over the years. So back up for a second. Why did you call it ever launch strategy? Yes. Good question. First of all, I kind of like the sound of it, but essentially the premise behind it was combining an evergreen system with a launch style marketing campaign. And so what I wanted was I wanted something that could be run in an evergreen way around the clock, but I also wanted it to leverage some of those powerful principles that are baked into a launch. Anyone that's been in the game for any period of time knows that launches work. They're powerful. We build all this momentum and all this hype and all this excitement and this buy-in and this frenzy of engagement, but they're tiring and they're hard and they take a lot of work and they take a lot of time and they're hard to optimize because often what we do is we put all of this time and money and energy into something, we open the cart, we cross our fingers and then it shuts down and, and and we don't know what happened. So that's where the Everlaunch came in is that, all right, well, we can run these customized, personalized evergreen style funnels. We can leverage a lot of the principles from launches and we can sort of allow people to go at their own pace. And then of course we can customize it depending on whatever kind of business we want to do. Okay. So uh, the first of seven P's is provide. And again, I would imagine it's providing the problem. Is that what that really means? By that's provide? it. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're talking about the problem. We're offering them hope. Okay. Really what we're doing here, it sounds, oh, it sounds kind of cheesy to say, but like that is kind of what we're trying to do is, is provide a little bit of inspiration to let them know they're not alone. We, we, we can get this solved. What's the next P? The next P is proceed. And this one is shorter. Fortunately, what we want to do here is we're going to identify or, or better yet, have them self-identify as someone that we can actually help. So we're going to get a little nerdy here, but what I like to do here is set this up as a trigger link or some kind of a bridge or, or using behavioral segmentation for lack of a better term, where I want them to really raise their hand and opt in for what I'm about to sell them. So I'm not shy here about letting them know that I do have a solution, but I also don't want to show them everything. So I'll let them know, hey, look, if you identified with the previous stuff that we've just been talking about and you want to hear more, you can go here. And I make sure that I'm only really marketing to people who have raised their hands. So how does that actually fundamentally work? I can see how it would work if I was doing a webinar. I can see how it would work if I was sending an email. How does that work in the context of organic? Tell me a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. So the best way it works by far is with email, because then we can just set it up with trigger links, with tagging, with all of that stuff. With organic, though, same thing applies. Really what we do is we just walk people through the content, but we try to move them, I guess more aggressively is the best way to say it, by getting them to opt in for some kind of secondary action. So we can still give them the rest of the content organically, even if they don't opt in, but we still want them to take that one other micro commitment, whether it's signing up for an email list or joining an SMS list or joining a Facebook group or whatever else, because I want some other point of contact where I can do a little bit more heavy hitting yeah. than just my messaging on organic. This is where automation, by the way, could come in handy because you've got bots and you've got Instagram DMs, right? So this is where I could totally see like in an Instagram story, 
hey, if you're, you know, identifying with, you do a series of stories, right? And then it, yeah. then you could say, by the way, if you identify with this, send me a message, right? DM me, right? 100%. Or you could use some of these bots, you know, that look at the comments and say, put this word in the comment, right? And even if it's not a bot, you could private message those people, right? And just say, hey, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. Or you could just say, message me, right? So it just allows some sort of self identified interaction, right? So that you can somehow, some way, take them into off of organic and do some sort of a private communication vehicle, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the way that I typically do it is the first time anyone would ever go through this process, we can do it either through just email or we can do it just through organic. But the second time, yeah, I want to put them on either a bot list or a different kind of list. And after that, I want to put them on a direct mail list. And if I run it again, I want to put them on an SMS list. So I'm always trying to build up assets, assets that we have control over, assets that we own, assets that you can tap into months and years to come. Awesome. Provide and then proceed. And what's the next P? Okay, it's time to prime. So this P is probably my favorite because it's here that we we really start marketing. So here's where we actively but invisibly influence the clients or customers' mindsets and beliefs and attitudes. Now, some of the stuff here, this is where we start to get a little bit into the more psychological side, which in the past has been used for more sinister purposes by cult leaders and dictators and politicians and even highly influential brands. Hopefully none of them are listening, uh, at least for the first couple, <laughs> the first couple listen. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So when we do this right, right, of course, we know marketing has a tremendous amount of power behind it, but... When we do this right, we can really start to tap into these proven scientific and human behavior principles from neurobiology and psychology and evolutionary anthropology and behavioral economics and all of this. And we start to really leverage cognitive biases. So what we're going to do here in priming is prime different schemas in the customer's mind that make them more open and receptive to whatever it is that we're offering. How? Give me an example. Okay, so let me give you an example because that sounds like a whole lot at once. Yeah, because I mean, like, it sounds like, I mean, I get it. How the heck do you do that, though? Like, I know, you know? it sounds super, super fancy. It's yeah. funny, but like, the reality is, is that there's a ton of different cognitive biases and there's a ton of different ways, and we call them mental heuristics, which is how we make decisions quickly because we got a ton of information flying at us. So our brains have these shortcuts and they're pretty proven. They haven't really changed that much in tens of thousands of years. These are deeply ingrained. So a good example If I tell you a story, Mike, about our mutual friend, Bond, and how we were out at a conference and she made me try this new recipe on the menu that had eggplant. And she's like, Adam, you got to try this thing. It's amazing. And I was like, ah, Bond, I hate eggplant. It is the worst thing ever. And she's like, no, you got to try it anyway. So I try this eggplant dish and I'm scared. But you know what? It's actually really good. And not just like really good, like it may be one of the best things that I've ever eaten. And so turns out I don't hate eggplant. I actually love it. Well, what I've just done with this tiny little inconsequential story is I've primed a schema in your mind of being more open, being more receptive, being more adventurous, and maybe even willing to accept that change may not just be good, but it may be great. And so now I can segue this into whatever offer or whatever the next thing is. And there's a million different opportunities to do this. All right. This is, we got to pause here for a second because this is fascinating to me. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is an inconsequential story about something that has zero to do with the actual thing that you are marketing, but instead has something to do with moral lesson about something that you learned that I need to be more open, right? Or I need to be more willing to change. Yeah. By telling that story, 
you, first of all, will trigger people into paying attention because they love paying attention to stories. For sure. And second, you will prime them, for lack of better words, to be more open or persuade them to use Robert Cialdini's book if you've read Persuasion, right? Yeah. And by the way, he was just on the podcast talking about some of these new scientific things. That action is actually an action that will allow someone's mind to align with what's going to come next. Is that what I'm hearing you say? A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's, and there's so many of them. So all of these, these quote unquote inconsequential stories, they're so incredibly powerful and they happen subconsciously and instantaneously. So we don't need to be overt. We don't need to be aggressive. There's another study I like that, that probably paints this even better. And what they did is they took two groups of, of study subjects into the room and they presented them with different words. One group of subjects were presented with words that were typically associated with elderly people. So they used words like Florida and retirement and bingo and all of those terms. Mm -hmm. And then they gave the other group just random words, plate, flower, couch, whatever it was. Then what they did is they watched the speed with which they left the study area. And the group that was primed with their schemas activated of the more elderly group physically left slower. So what means is we can start to use these words if we want our people to feel lucky, if we want them to think of the color orange, if we want them to pick a different number. This is kind of how mind reading works. And so we can activate these schemas where they come to the natural and logical conclusion that you are the best solution for them. This is how these magicians do what they do, isn't it? Uh, that's it. That's literally, so yeah. full disclosure, I used to be a magician way back. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah. So a lot of the tie-in that, and a lot of the lessons that we learned there about pattern and distraction and, and where to direct attention towards. Yeah. It's, it's funny how it applies to marketing. Huh. Okay. So this is really fascinating. So basically, I mean, I think honestly, if marketers are listening right now, take nothing more than this home, they've learned something really fascinating, right? Which is that, that if they can figure out a way to tell a story, and ideally in a medium where you can tell a story like podcasting, YouTube, the written word, right? That story, believe it or not, can actually move people a little further down the funnel. That's really what I'm hearing you say, right? That is completely it. And it's powerful as well. And you touched on this before when you said that people like stories. Well, there's a line that I use actually in a lot of uh, sales letters. I use it in emails. I use it to immediately lower the resistance of the audience. And what it is, is let me tell you a story. And the second that we say that their guard goes down, their shoulders drop, they relax, they become more open, they become more receptive. It doesn't matter what we say after that. Now, obviously make it a good story, be ethical, et cetera, et cetera. But the mere fact that we've said, let me tell you a story immediately opens them up to being more receptive and to actually listening to what we have to say. Everyone who's listened to this podcast for a long time, and there's a lot of you, this is why I always open with a story whenever I get a new guest on, because I know that you will pay more attention to a story. Just so you know, I've done this intentionally and strategically to help you, the listener, really latch on to what we're talking about. When you begin to understand the magic that goes on behind the curtain, it's fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's, it's unbelievable. I think that's, and that's the reason that I got so hooked on marketing so quickly is that the, the further down these rabbit holes you go and the more you start to really understand, it's funny that it really always comes down to psychology and to human behavior and why we do what we do and why we buy what we buy and all of that. And the more you understand that, 
the more successful all of your marketing becomes. And it becomes, I don't want to say easy because nothing's easy, but it becomes far more effortless to make that change and make that impact and actually get your message across. Awesome. What's our next P, the fourth all P? All right. So now it is time to promote. We're gonna, here is where we capitalize on all of the goodwill. We've primed them, we've given them the value, we've done everything what we need to do. So now you've earned the right to put your offer directly in front of them, who hopefully at this point are practically begging for you to let them buy or to enroll or sign up or whatever it is. So at this point, your customers feel heard, they feel acknowledged, they feel respected, they feel cared for, they feel understood, but They still have questions, they still have concerns, they still have some doubts, which is why it's here that we wanna tackle these head on by presenting whatever it is that you're selling in a way that allows you to overcome those objections, increase desire, and build even more anticipation for whatever it is that you're selling. Yeah, internally here in the marketing department at Social Media Examiner, we call it objection handling, right? Perfect, yeah. We want to try to hit on what we know based on our research or based on feedback from prospects what their biggest reasons are that they're not interested potentially in this product, right? Because anybody who's had a background in sales, a no is just really not yet, right? <laughs> right. Yes. That's it. There's a horrible expression where say, um, we keep emailing them until they sort of buy or die is the, is the term. And the reality is, is that we do want to guide them. Like we know what we have is good and we know it helps people. So Yes, we want them to say either yes or no and no, but it's not really no until they've unsubscribed, deleted everything, moved on. And even then they might be back. Well, and to be honest with you, uh, this when, you, when you're in the promotion phase, a lot of people get this wrong. They tend to focus on the features. They don't focus on the benefits. They don't focus on the possibilities. They don't ask this question, what could this make possible for you? And they don't use the word imagine. You know, they don't help the prospect see what that alternative reality could look like, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so what I call that miracles and miseries. And what we want to do here is we want to identify all the miseries, which are all the pains and problems and fears and frustrations and everything they're trying to move away from and identify their miracles, which are all their wants and dreams and goals and desires and everything they're trying to move towards. And then our job during this phase is to bridge the gap away from the miseries and towards the miracles. Here's where you are now. You have all this stuff that's not great. Here's where you could be. And this This is the solution. This is the path. This is what you need to do. And again, because we've gone through all of these other series, we've we've given them all this information, we've loved on them and nurtured them and given them everything they need. Really, you have not, not just a right, but kind of an obligation now to help them solve their problem by presenting your offer. And I like that because you are actually doing them a disservice by not helping them to see what could be possible. Really? Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. It it took me a long time to sort of form that belief in marketing. And now it's something I hold strongly. It's the reason that I'll only ever promote things I really truly believe in is that I strongly believe that if you have something that can help someone, it's very selfish for you to keep it to yourself and let them continue to suffer. Now, you don't need to jam it down their throat, but you kind of owe it to them to make sure they're aware that, hey, you don't need to suffer anymore. I've got something that could help. All right. The next P is? Next P is push, and this is sort of a sub-segment of promote, but this is really the final 24 hours 
of a full-on promotion. So this is, if we're doing a traditional launch, this would be the final 24 hours before cart close. If we're doing a more evergreen style promotion, what we want to do here is we want to find some way to ramp up what I call ethical scarcity. So we could use software like Deadline Funnel. We could add and remove bonuses. The point is we need some kind of limitation or emphasis of exclusivity or scarcity or whatever it is, because given the option to act now or act later, most people choose later and later often ends up being never. Fascinating. So if this is an ever launch, how do you create that ethical scarcity? I guess is a logical question. You did mention a tool. You might want to tell people how that works exactly. But if you've always got people coming in at the top of the funnel, right? How do you actually work that scarcity in a way that's ethical? Yeah, right on. So great question. So first of all, the tool makes it very easy. And, and the tool I tend to use more often than not is Deadline Funnel. And what it is, is a countdown timer that tracks your visitors across websites and their phones and basically anywhere they can't, they can't really get away from it. So it makes it ethical because when the timer is up, it's up and they're going to get redirected to a waitlist page. And if, if I wanted to remove it, I really couldn't unless I go in there and delete cookies. So it becomes a huge hassle. Do you find that really works? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You know what, you know where it works best, Mike, is launch number two or launch number three, because what ends up happening, depending on the sophistication of the market is they've been marketed to so severely before that they often like to test if you're telling the truth. So if they see the timer and it kind of just goes, yeah, it, it's probably not going to work again. But if that cart actually closes on time one, when you relaunch it again in 30, 60, 90 days or whatever, yeah, that's where we start to see spikes of, of people coming through because they're like, oh, I don't want to miss this out again. Well, and I would imagine if you don't have that kind of evergreen aspect to it, you could simply raise the price, which is definitely going to force people to make a decision, right? Yeah, totally. We do this with social media marketing world, right? Like the price starts out earlier, cheaper as you're further out from the conference and it goes up, right? And as you get closer, right? So there's a certain amount of scarcity that's not necessarily limited quantity, but more like a sale ending kind of a thing right? Totally. Yeah. There's all kinds of different levels of scarcity. So it really depends on your offer and then also your comfort level. So the easiest, lowest form of scarcity is, is just personal scarcity, where it's like, look, now's the time. Like, haven't you waited long enough? You should probably do this. If you're not going to do it now, like, let's just, let's get it taken care of. And that's easy. And you could just do that and they're in or they're out. Like uh, price increase. That works great. Hey, look, Price is going up. You can choose whether you want to say how much or when it's going to happen, or you can just hint at it. Another very easy thing to do is to simply remove a bonus or add a bonus and say, look, I'm going to only do this for a short period of time. It's this thing. If you want it, now's the time to do it. And of course, the final level of scarcity is to just shut things down. And then you, you're free to open it up whenever you like. But remember right. that we're training people here, especially if we're trying to build these relationships. We're like, it's the second launch and the third launch typically where all the stars start to align. Okay. So we've got another P here. What's the next one? Oh, so many P's. We're so, we're almost done. Next P is pivot. So typically what happens now is where most marketers, they finish whatever it is that they're promoting, they pack it up and they call it a day. But this is both a shame and a huge waste because even though our promotion is over, even though we've just gone through all of the messaging in that, well, there's still this massive opportunity to serve those that didn't or were otherwise unable to buy as well as we don't want to waste all of the goodwill and all of the, the content that we 
we've just created. We want to capitalize on all of that. So what we do here is we give them alternative options. Now, depending on your price, you can go with an upsell, you can go with a downsell, you can go with a cross sell, you can sell affiliate offers, you can sell whatever else it is, but you want to make sure that you're going to give them something else for those people that didn't take you up on it. Interesting. So I would imagine, you know, if we go back to this real estate example, right? Maybe they can't afford to live in the super nice neighborhood. Maybe you decide to try to get them to go after a fixer upper, right? Totally. Maybe that's an example, right? Like, uh, hey, maybe, you know, you don't have the budget to get into this really expensive house. Here's one that's about a third the price, needs a little work, but you could turn it into your dream home over time, right? Yeah, for sure. And in fact, if I couldn't, like in this, in our, in our hypothetical situation, if I was a realtor that couldn't talk with my clients and everything was happening virtually and they're, we're sending emails back and forth and they've got a house that we'll just, for easy math, we'll say was at a million bucks and they don't close. Well, the first thing I would do is I, I might send them one at 2 million or 3 million or go really, really above because maybe that's not what they were looking for and they wanted something better. And if they don't do that, then I'm going to hit them with the fixer upper. Ah, but, I like that. Cause you, so you shouldn't assume that they can't afford it. It might just be that they actually weren't in the market for that specific thing. Maybe they want something more premium is what I'm hearing you say. For sure. Oh, man. The road to success is paved with failures. One of my best successes slash failures was I launched a group coaching program and I thought everybody wanted it. I thought this was what they wanted. And I had an application form and literally like 80% of the people came through and they're like, Adam, that sounds amazing. I want it. But can I just hire you to work with me one-on-one -on -one to do this? Because I don't really want to be in a group to do it. And literally application after application kept saying that. I was like, why did I think people wanted this in a group? So I missed the mark. I pivoted. We, we switched it to a one-on-one -on -one offer as well as a course offer as well without getting uh, support. And it, it sold out. It was phenomenal. So yeah, we've got to find the way that people want to get the solution. And we get it right a lot of the time, but sometimes we miss as well as sometimes it's just not the right fit for people. So we've got one more P, the last one. What is it? The last P is pause. Last P is pause. Fortunately, there's not too much here. What we want to do is now we finally get to cool our jets a little bit. So we've just done all of this promotion, all of this content. We've moved people in the right direction. It's at this phase that depending on the length of the promotion we've just run, I like about a two week kind of cool down period to essentially provide some value, connect with them on a deeper level, but also start planting the seeds for the next ever launch or for your next offer, for whatever it is. So just hinting at, all right, cool, that's all done. Working on something, let you know soon. And then wash, rinse, repeat, we do it again. So give us kind of a high level through all seven of these, just kind of go through them real quick in a quick summary, just so people can wrap their mind around all this. Right on. So essentially, if we if we go through the P's, we start with provide. And what we're doing here is we're helping them identify the problem and showing them, hey, there's a solution. We move to proceed. And now what we're doing is we're having them self-identify or take some kind of micro commitment that shows them and shows us as well that they're interested. Then we have prime. This is where we start actively but invisibly influencing their beliefs and their mindsets and priming all of the schemas that we want. Then we promote where we give them the offer. We have the push where that's that final 24 hours. We use some kind of scarcity or urgency, whether it's price or taking things down or a bonus or whatever it is. Then we pivot. We give them alternative solutions for whatever it is that they didn't take us up on. And then we pause, give them a bit of time to cool down, pat yourself on the back, celebrate your success, and then do it all again. 
And the stuff that I really, really got excited about was in the uh, the prime stage, right? And and I would imagine that is one opportunity that a lot of marketers are not paying attention to. I mean, most marketers aren't following a methodology like this. They might just be doing like one part of it or two parts of it. But man, I think that prime stage is a huge opportunity for people to really begin to experiment with telling stories to get people to kind of prepare themselves to receive change, right? Or to be in a position where they could imagine themselves um, actually wanting whatever it is that you're selling. Adam, you are amazing. I don't think I've ever met a person that has more alliterations than you. <laughs> oh, I, I got to love those P's, right? You got the yeah. P's and you got the, you got, you got all sorts of them. Oh, and I, all the, all the alliterations. I, I tell love you, it. Just, uh, yeah. Geeking out on the market and stuff. I love it. Well, where do you want to send people if they want to discover more about you? Cause I'm sure this is just tapping the surface of what you've got. Yeah, I'd be happy to chat more. I think the, the best place to go is adamerhart.com slash SME and you'll find all kinds of resources and videos and all kinds of stuff on there. Yep, and it's E-R-H-A-R-T, Adam, E-R-H-A-R-T dot com slash SME. Adam, if they want to reach out to you on the socials, do you have a preferred channel? Yeah, the best place to find me by far is YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and you type in Adam Earhart, you will find me. And then if you leave a comment right now, I'm pretty diligent about responding to every single comment. It's becoming more challenging, but I still make it a priority. You are indeed an anomaly. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, it's my pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Adam. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 473. And if you're new to the show, follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram, S-T-E-L-Z-N-E-R. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world, hopefully in a good way. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.